Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day, for us to gather in midweek Bible study to prepare, not to play religion, but to understand the depth of the atmosphere and climate in the generation we live and uh, there are those who understand and know you and love you and serve you and live for your glory and then there's others that don't have a clue that they don't understand and we can judge them real quickly or we could criticize them or we can uh, just remove ourselves from their lives but you've called us to shine as a light in darkness for the benefit of those that are in darkness, that they might know you, that they might see you, that they might understand your heart. And you've picked vessels, you've picked instruments, you've picked uh, people for that responsibility, and we want to be faithful. We want to be able to send the message with the right uh, rhythm of your love and mercy and grace and truth and not compromise. And, and, and but deliver that which you want them to hear and to know. So tonight we're, we've come and gathered so that you prepare us and that we might be um, even more authentic and legitimate and genuine in our faith with you, Lord. Allow us to come to that place where we're no longer uh, tossed to and fro and lost, that we, we might leave a legacy of footprints uh, that we might have a lifeline to throw to those people that are around us on a constant basis and allow us to understand. Uh, remove all confusion and chaos. Remove that which is twisted and perverted in our understanding. We pray that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and a good seed planted in the hearts, Lord, that we might be filled with your spirit, with all knowledge and wisdom so that we might impart that to those that are here tonight and even those that we will talk to in the coming days. We ask you to bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Um, on Sunday, if you were here, it was a powerful time. We talked about the state of others and others are just plain lost, uh, lost in um, many different uh, directions. Um, Paul, in Romans chapter nine, verse one, after he tells, in his letter he's writing, he's telling Christians about how glorious and great, and sometimes we feel even embarrassed. Um, when I have conversations with, with other people, they, they, they tell me you know, how their wife cheated on them, or how uh, their son doesn't talk to them, or how their daughter ran away and got pregnant, and, and as they tell me these things, I could only sit there and say, you know, you're living in a in a real chaotic world that I can't I can't even I can't fathom because I, I don't know what it's like to have a rebellious son. Thank the Lord. I don't know what it is to to have marital problems. Thank the Lord. I don't know what it is to uh, some people have uh, ulcers in their stomach from gases that that they worry so much it just burns holes. They can't eat right. They have digestive problems. I can't identify with that. Thank the Lord. And so all matter of things that we can, we can diagnose, and my, my brother being a psychiatrist, and, and he, he meets with, with 
tons of people per week and they come in and they just share these crazy lives. And he says, you know something, if you were living like God wanted you to live, you wouldn't have any of these problems. Um, I had a client one day that came into my office. I still remember his name, Cesar Lopez. And he says, I noticed that you have a Christian fish outside your building. Is that going to be a problem? Because I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. And uh, he began to tell me about his life. Uh, three heart attacks, bipolar, uh, schizophrenia. And, and, and he was telling me all, you know, and I said, yeah, when God is not in your life, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's really twisted. And I said, as long as you don't mind having a man of God to be your lawyer, then there's no conflict. I'm not going to sit there and not serve you as a lawyer because you don't believe in God. So uh, through the years, we became friends, and, and, and we were able to talk many a times. But his conditions uh, were evidence of the lack of God. So in, in Romans 8, at the last verses, Paul is talking about the glorious um, experience. If we go to verse 38, he says that um, I'm convinced this was deep-seated in his inside that nothing not even death itself, not life, not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future. There's no force upon the earth. Verse 39, there's nothing high, there's nothing deep, nothing else in all of existence. And people have a lot of doubt of how far creation is out there. But he says it doesn't matter how far it's out there, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is, this is an evidence of, of an affection inside his heart that nothing could faze him. I, I want to tell you um, that when you're with the supreme presence of force and power and the omni, omnipotent, that's the word, it's, it's power at large levels, there's no fear in your heart. It, nothing, nothing can move you from the love of God. So now he starts in verse 9, and we, we went through this process on Sunday, but um, we, we need to see this transition because these are the people that are found. They're not lost. People like Paul who came to the knowledge of Christ. And then in, in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I'm going to tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not trying to be evasive. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Verse 2. I am saddened beyond measure. I have great sorrow. I have unceasing anguish in my heart. It's something that continually bothers me. Uh, some people don't understand the intensity of our ministry to reach out to people. Why is it that we travel? Why is it that we continually... Today, I saw one of the commissioners in Miami, Javier Soto. He's been a commissioner forever in our neighborhood, District 10. And as soon as I saw him, I said, what is a man? What is a man? What is a man? He needs what is a man. So I said, Commissioner, this is a copy of a book. And, and our passion is that somehow, some way, all men might feel what Paul felt, that nothing separates them from the love of God. There's, there, there's not one man alive that God does not want to embrace in his bosom and make him feel convinced and confident and unfazed in every situation. And so we know that there's situations upon the earth. 
And, and a lot of people are like, ooh, ooh. They're dodging all these, these things thrown in their direction. But, but we're unfazed when we're embraced by God. But he says, I have a great sorrow and I can't lie about this sentiment I have. It's something that bears heavy in my heart. And verse three, he says, and it has to do with all those people. He says, I wish that I were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people and those of my own race. I think that Jesus Christ is shining heavily through Paul in this statement. This is, this is, this is 2,000 years later, and that cross speaks volumes about how Christ gave his life for the lost. And so when you see someone, and, and we're going to know, and we've already talked about uh, what others uh, equate. Others equate suffering for us because of their lack of understanding in God. That means that the way they treat us, the way they act, the way they speak is very hurtful. And Paul is not, not lacking in these things because if you study the, the life of Paul, in many of the cities where he went to go preach to his own, he was beaten and left for half dead. Uh, if you see with me in the book of Corinthians, um, his, uh, it's, it's, it's his description of his dealings um, with his own countrymen and how many times uh, he was beat and left for dead and uh, all manner of, of sentiments when, when he's trying to explain 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he's trying to explain his dealings with others, you, you tell me if after you read these words, you feel like going to reach out to those people. Um, 2 Corinthians 11, and we're going to go to verse... Twenty-four. Imagine, listen, listen to the merits or the consequences of going out to other people to try and get them to understand who God is and what he wants from them. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. When you take away one from 40, what do you have? 39. You know that that 40 was death? Those beatings were so bad that if they would have hit him one more time, he would have died. So they had counted. They said if, if we could hit somebody 40 times minus one, it's 39 times. It's one whipping away from being dead. And that happened to him. Let's go back to verse 24, please. That happened to him how many times? Five times. They would grab him and take him down to, okay, you're in trouble. In trouble for what? In trouble for reaching out to others so that they might know the love of God. So they would grab him, and he was, he was preaching something they didn't want anybody to hear. And in five different occasions, they gave him the 40 lashes minus one. 
So they almost left them for dead five times in different situations. Now, how many would go back to those people and talk to them about God and the love of God and Jesus again? <laughs> it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Why? They're going to lash out at you 40 times minus one. So when you're sitting there feeling like, man, I'm trying to, to pass on the goods and they're not receiving it, remember Paul's five times his own people. Now watch what he says in verse 25. There's more of suffering when you reach out to others. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. He wasn't stealing somebody's property. I was in Ecuador uh, a couple of years ago and somebody had broken into a house you know what they do in those countries that don't have police officers? The neighborhood decides they don't want no thieves in the neighborhood. So they grab thieves and they stone them to death. And so they, 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 there was a whole crowd running down the street with big stones chasing this one guy. I was like, man, this is horrible justice in this place. That guy's running out like, and so Paul is being pelted with stones. Not because he's being a burglar. Not because he's stealing. Three times I was shipwrecked. He was, he was crossing the seas or the oceans and the boat would fall apart. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. We were just tossed. In th verse 26. I've been constantly on the move. I, I, can't, I can't be still. I can't, I can't just live my own life. I've been in danger from rivers and in danger from bandits. There's probably some rough neighborhoods that he was going into. In danger from my fellow Jews. In danger from Gentiles. Those that, not only those that are from my lineage, but those that are Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. In the desert. In danger at sea. In danger from false believers. Verse 27. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I stay up late at night. I have, I have known hunger. I've gone without food. I've, gone, I've been thirsty. I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked in different uh, scenarios. All this to say that, that he was uh, attempting to make sure that other people knew what he knew. That they would find out. Go, go back to Romans, um, Romans 9. And, and so we there see that his sadness and his heart is for the lack. He says, I wish that I, I would be cut off from Christ. That they might come. And then he gets on. If, if we understand at this point that people are lost. And people are not connected. And people do not have what Paul has um, we go on to the next step, which is verse 4, where he says, uh, those people that are found, the people of Israel, to them belong the adoptions to sonship. It seems like the very first thing that happens to a person that's lost is that he goes from not being a son to being a son. From not being a daughter to having the experience of being a daughter. And as soon as this is cleared up in your, in your heart and in your thoughts, because uh, uh, there's, there's, there's issues that people carry, and I, I could see it on their face. I could see it on their countenance. 
They're 50, 60, 70 years old. They're 30 years old. They're 25. They're in college. They're very, they're very savvy. They, they got careers. They, they have professions. But there's unresolved issues of the time that they were growing up as sons. Unresolved issues in the time where you're supposed to be nurtured and your heart is supposed to be still. We talked about it when we started tonight. What, what is the travesty of the young boys and girls of our generation that have never felt the hug of a father? They've never felt the father's embrace. They've never felt um, the love of their mom. They, 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 the family situation, and this is way before even our generation, uh, I tell people that the most twisted word in the last 50 years is called family. And it's not supposed to be like that because God put every person that was born of the womb to be birthed in a family. And there it was a, it was a time and a season that was supposed to meet with all our needs. We're going to get into what it is to be outside of family and, and the travesties of the dangers. Um, the most vicious people in the world are those that, like Tarzan, grow up in the jungle without a mom and a dad. And, and they're just, they just have, they, you know, the survival of the fittest mentality. And if I don't defend myself, no one will. I was listening to a pastor today. He says, what a travesty. I was born in a family with a little brother and a little sister, uh, and, and, and we don't get along. We can't speak two words together. We can't eat together. We can't have breakfast together. We can't have lunch together. We, we, we can't do life together because of the travesty of his upbringing. Because family was not something that was settled. Um, it's a place of, of, of dog eat dog, a, a world of, of competition. And, and we're going to see this a little bit here. I, I want to spend some time here on that first step to be found. Because I believe if we, and this is what I tell people all the time, if you missed it out in the biological and physical realm, if in your childhood that your mom took off or dad took off or dad and mom didn't get together or your, something happened there that, that, that the kingdom of God wasn't reigning, then, then you missed it, okay? So then you grow up and now you're older and you're an adult now and now you have another opportunity not to miss it and it's called the church. And this is the family of God. And, and he wants us to get connected so much so that it will heal all the issues that we bring as baggage. And it'll set us on a course that he intended to from the first. Instead of being lost, we're found. Found in what? That we have been adopted to sonship. There's a first step. In being found is being connected with your father in heaven. And so a lot of people come to church and they get connected with the pastor. They get connected with the vision and with the denomination and with the church people and all that stuff. And they never get connected to the father God. They never, never, never understand what, what, what is going on in this realm. So um, as we are concentrating tonight on, on the first aspect of being found... Um, he says, to them, theirs is the adoption to sonship. 
The, the very first step that God does, when he, remember he's, he's distraught, he's sad, he wishes he were lost, that they might be connected because they deserve to come into the family of God. And, and that word adoption is actually the process by which you come into a family. You get adopted into a family and you are just as legitimate as all that are in that family. And so there is no discrepancy. There's no, there's no lessening. You're, you're not a guest at home. You're a son. And John 14, verse 18, um, Jesus tells us, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to leave you disconnected. I'm going to make sure that you are connected. And so how do you connect the lost? You say the process of adoption. You, you make sure that they understand that they're not disconnected and distant and, and, and outside of, there's two things that happens when you become adopted. I, I want to tell you that everybody loves the privileges of adoption. What are the privileges of adoption? That you're showered with the incredible abundance of the provision of that family. That stuff is coming down on you and you can't even stop it. And, and so that's part of an adoption process. But there's not only privilege in a family, there's responsibility. And this is what orphans do not understand. They, they do not understand. In fact, I, I always tell the story of uh, his house here in Miami is an orphanage house. And uh, the young men and the young women that are there, at the end of their, when they've turned 18 years old, they can't stay by law anymore at the orphanage house. They're 18 years old. They have to leave. And so what the orphanage does, it tries to get people that are in the community that will help these young men and young girls uh, integrate and become part of society. And they, they can't go back to the orphanage. Now they're 18. And there was three boys that had turned 18. And I went and I sat with them for many hours. And I invited them. I brought them to, to the men's meeting on Monday night. And I said, I want to be your dad. I want to be there for you. I want you guys to call me. I, I'm, I'm going to help you guys. And they said, thank you. But no thanks. We love the provision, but we don't want the responsibility. We don't want to call and have somebody tell us when we have to be home and how to manage our time and how to manage our money and how to get a job and how to grow up and be a man. So that, that is the travesty, and it happens in the Christian world a lot. Everybody loves that Jesus forgives our sins. Everybody loves worship. Everybody loves all the goodness of heaven all the giftings of God, but nobody wants responsibility. Nobody wants to show up when it's dinner time. Nobody wants to wash the dishes. Nobody wants to take out the trash. Nobody wants to clean their room. Nobody wants to wait for uh, letters that are coming. Just all sorts of things. We don't, we don't want to be faithful as members of the household of God. So, so you'll see, and I, I want to tell you that... that while there's a process of adoption that connects you, it eliminates the distance, it embraces you, it funds you, um, there are orphans, there are prodigals, there are illegitimates, people that do not want to have a relationship. They want the blessings, but they don't want the responsibilities. So as we, as we 
move into this, we'll see different aspects in the Old Testament of people that were types and shadows. Exodus 2.10, um, one of the examples of a process of a relationship was Moses. When the child grew older, she took him to the Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because that means in Hebrew, taken out of the water. She, she picked him up out of the Nile. So if, if you try to figure out what, who can I identify with in regards to an adoption process, you have Moses as one of the Old Testament shadows. And when I'm reading the, the, the New Testament and we're reading about the life of Moses, we read Hebrews 11, verse 23, I believe. Yep. Uh, Hebrews 11:23. it says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. So after he was born, he was a three-month-old baby. And there was a law to kill all those children. And his parents, at the age of three months, they could only hide him for three months before it got obvious that, that they were going against the, it says, and they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Um, the king was calling for everybody to, um, to be killed under the age of two. And so they put him in the Nile and the Pharaoh's daughter picks him up and she raises him his whole life. Now, one of the powerful things that happens there in verse five, uh, 24, it says that uh, when he turned of age, when he became a, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't want to, to, um, to connect with that family. That family was an ungodly family. You imagine all the, the black magic and the witchcraft and all the stuff that happens in Egypt uh, to families that were not connected to God. Uh, and he was taught in the ways of Egypt. But when he was grown up, he says, no, I'm not Pharaoh's son. Uh, he actually uh, identifies with, we're going to read verse 25. He chose rather to suffer the afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I don't belong to that family. I belong to the Hebrew family. And so he preferred to suffer. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm not, I don't belong to them. And so uh, at the age of three months, he's put in the Nile and he's picked up and he is raised up in Pharaoh's house. Esther chapter two, verse seven. Um, we have the, the story of Esther also. She is, um, the Bible says that Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So another orphan is taken up into a family because mom and dad are no longer there. Um, before I was a Christian and understood these things, I always thought it was a huge travesty for somebody to lose a father or a mother and be raised up without one. And, and the Lord gave me an understanding that when God... Uh, allows this to take place upon the earth is, is the most major connection that's supposed to be made is um, understanding that God wants to establish supernatural provision. 
like he did with Moses and like he did with Esther. And so we have Psalm 27, verse 10, that proves that. And it says, when my father and my mother are no longer there, it's the Lord that is, is wanting to connect. And so now I see it, it's not a travesty. It's not a loss. It's, it's an opportunity for a huge adventure upon the earth that God has great plans and great purposes, supernatural. And so in that regards, the expectation to see what happened to Moses in his early childhood loss, and now he becomes the number one deliverer the one who sets free six million Jews. And then we have Esther also who saves the lineage of her people. And all prepared in that understanding. So while the devil comes in to try to destroy us and give us an identity of lack, there's a replacement there through the spirit of God that says, wait a second. That's not the message that's supposed to capture my heart. And, 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 and I, I was of the sentiment uh, many years ago, I said, Lord, why didn't you give me a Christian dad? Imagine what we would have been with, with like, woo, Billy Graham. He's a dad. A man of God. Why, why didn't you give me that? And I would question God. And I said, and then I, get, I become a Christian, and even the spiritual dads I get are twisted. They're funny people, crazy people. And so here I said, Lord, I didn't have a biological dad. Thank God my dad came to the Lord after uh, when I was older. But, but then even spiritual, when I get to church and I want to be a spiritual son, a faithful spiritual son, these guys are nuts and they don't want to have any relationship with me. They, they don't want to embrace, you know, uh, the achievements and the accomplishments and the accolades of being a good son. They don't give you a thumbs up. You're being the best son you can be, and they're not even around. They don't even want to know it. And so in that, in that course, God told me where you didn't have the biological or the spiritual, I'm going to use you mightily. In the area of your lack, that's where I'm going to perfect my strength. And I said, I could, I could, I could like that. I could enjoy that, that you have a purpose for my suffering that my loss was not in vain, that you're going to use it for your glory big time. And guess what? That is what's been so powerful about the ministry we've had is that we, we, we are, are really desirous of understanding the Father's heart and, and all these revelations of what is a man and all that has birthed out of the place that was actually supposed to form manhood, which is a relationship, a son with his father. And, and, and because that is missing now, my father in heaven and my relationship with him and crying out and wanting to understand his heart gives us this inheritance. So in uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12 in the Old Testament, Elijah, he has a relationship with Elijah and in their walk in life together, you'll see the whole story of Elijah and Elijah, uh, these two that walked together for a long time uh, first out started like a mentoring process. And uh, the, the oldest is Elijah didn't even want to have somebody following him around and asking him questions and wasting his time. He's like, you know, but, but this other, the young man, Elijah, um, he says, Whoa, 
I want double your anointing. And he says, well, if you see me when I go, if you're still around, then you'll get it. And Elijah saw this, and when he saw, let's go to verse 11. He saw a fiery chariot, and they were walking along and talking together. And suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared them and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Right? The older gentleman just took off. And verse 12, the younger one, Elijah, saw this and he cried out, My father, my father. These guys were not related in the flesh. But, but the younger one understood that God's purpose is that he would conform to the image of a son. That he would take on the the character attributes of what a son is before God. And so he cries out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Verse 13. Elijah then picked up Elijah's clothes. So now he has the covering of that man he walked with for a long time that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Verse 14. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, the covering, and he struck the water just like, just like Elijah had done. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he asked when he struck the water, and it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Having the covering of being a good son, a faithful son, gives you an authority that, that far surpasses anything else in this life. The inheritance of being a son is, is prepared to, to give you, and, and, and history says if you follow his life from that point on, that he did twice as many miracles than Elijah, the one who left. He, was, he had the double anointed he had asked for. And so a lot of us are fighting to make our own ground and our own future and our own purpose. But if you're just a son, get ready to inherit large blessings Get ready to, to receive from God in a measure that's amazing. Um, where now is the Lord, the God, he asked. And when he struck it, let's go to Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. This has always been God's heart. And you can speak in, in the words of what we have shared so far. Um, he says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. This is what the Lord has decreed up in heaven the Lord has established, and he said to me, you are my son. Today, I become your father. Do that transaction. Don't, don't let that transaction go by you on life. Say, say, Lord, I'm your son, and you're my dad. And the Bible says through the spirit of God, we call him daddy. We can call him papa. We, we, we can have the embrace that the devil has wanted us to forego. And, and so this is all, it's, it's very not as clear in the Old Testament, although we have those snapshots and we have those glimpses of, of what the Lord desires for us to come into relationship with him. But in the New Testament, there is no doubt when, when he says, hey, how do we talk to this guy who's up there? You say, my father who art in heaven. 
you're an awesome, holy God. So it wasn't my, my majestic, you know, distant spiritual guru. It's my dad. My dad. He's, he's up in heaven and wants a relationship where I could be his son. And, and the attributes of a son that brings a heart that pleases the father. That, that is where we're headed. Um, as we touch upon these verses, we are embracing, us, embracing it for us. But we understand that there's 300 million people in the United States that have not even heard this. That don't know. And they might even go to church and think that, that, that you know, I, God in heaven wants me to be a Christian. No, God in heaven is your father. And he loves you like a son. And he even sent his son Jesus to show you what a son is. He didn't send a prophet with respect to an ecclesiastical, theological, uh, rabbi, Pharisee, you know, somebody with uh, some... Uh, spiritual position. No, he sent a son. And so the son, when he's asked, well, how do we do this stuff? He says, talk to him like a dad. Talk to him like a father. Ephesians 1.5, Paul is trying to express this to those he writes to. And he says, he has predestined us for adoption. You, you see, the, the letters in the New Testament are saturated with the subject matter of adoption. Don't miss it. Don't mess up your papers. Don't, don't sign a tenant. Don't be a tenant. Don't sign a lease. This is adoptive. You're part of the family. You are a son. You have just as much right. Um, one, one of the things about sons, there's, there's no place in a house that a son doesn't have access to. And my kids open up the refrigerator, they go in the freezer, they go to the back of the refrigerator where, where I hide stuff, and they grab all that stuff because they're children of that house. And, and I, I don't get upset. I don't get bothered. Why? Because they're my sons. And in the same manner, God has that same sentiment with you. You go as deep and as close as you can to the Father. And, and my recommendation is that you be real close and you hear his heartbeat. And don't let anybody tell you, dad said, what do you mean dad said? He's my dad. I'm going to go talk to my dad. Don't let nobody talk to you for your relationship with dad. No one's going to need to take. So Paul is saying predestined us. And, and in this particular chapter one, Paul is about to tell these people that the vast expanse of God's creation is is huge. You, you can't even, when you, when you read that chapter one of Ephesians, you, you need to be like deep uh, scientist type of deal. Because basically he's saying, uh, and I'll, I'll try and, 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 sh and highlight some of these words here, but he's saying you don't want to have any other position or pursuit in this world than to be a son of God. You, you, do, you do not want um, look what he says in, in verse, chapter 1, verse, first, first we're going to go to verse 18. Because verse 18, he says these words, he says, um, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. In other words, open your eyes and figure out what's really happening. 
in order that you, that your eyes would be wide open, that you might know what is the hope of this calling and the riches of his glorious inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? A son. What, what is this that God has up there waiting in a, in a magnitude that is huge? What are these giftings that he has for his sons? Um, he continues on to say, verse 19, what is the glorious riches of this inheritance and the great power, the mighty strength? He uses in this, in verse 20, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him above all, verse, in heavenly places, verse 21, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every named that is named, not only in this age, but in that age to come. So, so he opens it wide open and he says God is about to pour out huge inheritance to his sons. Uh, verse 5 again, let's, let's not forget this. Ephesians 1.5. To who? To those he predestined to be adopted as sons. Not because you did anything, but it was his pleasure and desire. That's what it says. In accordance, lined up with what pleases him and what is his desire. This is God's game plan. Nothing that you did. Nothing that, that you'll ever do will merit you. You don't have to like, uh, you could be my son if. No. It's because he wants you to be his son. So in that great measure, um, he opens the windows of the heavens. Now, what does God feel that he has as a game plan for those children he wants to raise up, but they don't want to have any part of it. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2. He says, although I wanted to raise up this family, hear me, O heavens. He's, he's up there in the heavens. He's like telling all the angels, guys, come, listen, earth. For the Lord has spoken, I have reared children and I've raised them up, but they have rebelled against me. They want to be disconnected. They, they want to speak another language. They don't want to, to walk according to God's desire. And so what is the sentiment of when you're not a son? Uh, I want to tell you, uh, let's go to Lamentations chapter 5. When you read Lamentations 5, and you could do this for homework because we don't have time to do it tonight. Um, I challenge you to see, remember Lamentations is a book uh, of mourning, of sadness, and in this particular chapter five, it describes why, why what, what is the deepest sentiment of sadness that could be expressed throughout the Bible is the sentiment of those called to be sons that are not, that have rebelled, that are distant, that do not participate. Like Paul was saying, I'm super sad because this belongs to them, to be able to, to walk in the provisions. Look what he says in uh, Lamentations 5, verse 1. Remember, Lord, what has come upon us. Look what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. What do you guys think is their disgrace and what has happened to them? They're not walking as children. They've rebelled against God. They're not listening to the Lord. 
They're not, they're not walking as his sons upon the earth. So, Lord, look what's happening and look at our disgrace. Verse 2, what happens? Instead of us getting an inheritance, it's turned over to other people and our homes to strangers, to foreigners. Instead of us getting, and this is the biggest travesty there is, is when a Christian loses his smile. When he loses his smile, that means he's not under the influence of the provision of heaven. And so he goes around with a sad countenance. He told Cain, why are you sad? If you do what's right, won't things go well? So they're telling God, look what has happened. Our, we've lost our inheritance. Um, I, I, George Smith, Michelle, David, Daniel. I always call him David. Listen, there's an inheritance for you guys. Unless you refuse to be sons. Unless you refuse to walk in a manner that, that honors your father in heaven. And so that, that disposition, and we're going to see this, um, when you say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own life. I got, I got my own plans. I got my own priorities. And, and you just forsake the character. And so Paul is saying the lost have, are distant from this. And this guy in Lamentations is going to describe what it means to lose your inheritance. And that's why I want you guys to do it as homework. Because as you go through each one of these verses, you sit there and get a stomachache. Because everything these people are supposed to get, they're not getting. Look what it says in verse, um, verse 3. We have become orphans. We have become fatherless. We have been disconnected from an adoption and from a family and from provision. We're walking out there like if we don't have a family. And so uh, our mothers are as widows. There, there's no fathers. Um, he continues on. Uh, verse 4, we pay for the water we drink and our wood comes at a price. When, when you're not a son, you, you got to pay your... Yesterday, yesterday we went with, with Nick. To, we, went to have, uh, we went to go have some vegetarian burritos at Lime. And, and I stood in line and I ordered and then he ordered. And then I walked away like saying, you pay, man. <laughs> and he walked away too. <laughs> And he looks at me and he's like, you're dad. You go pay that bill. I'm like, okay, I'm dad. I'll go pay the bill. So I, when you're a son, dad pays the bill. Give a big hand to the Lord. I say, okay, man, because you're my son. Okay, here it goes. I'll pay this bill. But these guys are saying, we buy the water we drink. And, and we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to be buying stuff when our father wants to pay the bill. He, he carries that. Uh, our wood can be had only at a price. We can't even warm up. We, we don't have where to even cook our food because we've lost. And, and I want you to feel that that is what's happening out there with those who have forsaken who have decided, I'm not going to have. And so if you read this, whole, it's a real powerful. Um, verse 5, they pursue at our heels, and we must work and find no rest. Now, now you put, <laughs> you, 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 when you're reading this passage, you put it opposite. What if dad was around? Is anybody going to be messing with my children? Who's going to mess with my son? No one's going to, it says, 
Those who pursue us are at our heels. They're like, they're like, they're stepping on our heels. They're about to get us. But when dad is around, those guys won't show up because dad is there. We are weary. We find no rest. We're tired. We find no rest. In God, there's a rest, and you're not tired. You're not weary. So you'll see that the, the placement of God, uh, verse 6, we have given our hands to the Egyptians and sold off to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. We must become slaves. When, when you stop being a son, now you have to become subservient. Now you are a slave. And this is one of the most powerful verses in this whole description that you're either a son adopted or you're a slave under the pressures of the burdens of, let's read Romans 8.15. When the Spirit of God comes and, and finds us, He does not, you did not receive, the Spirit you receive does not make you a slave. There's a, there's a transfer over. Now, now you're not under anything. Now someone's carrying you so that you live in fear again. Um, I, I don't know if you can make the the contrast between a slave and a son. Somebody who has to work to get food and somebody who's given food because he's a son. Somebody who um, has to compete. And, and so that, that whole, there, there's a heavy burden. And, and that's what I believe is going on in this world. Everybody trying to prove themselves. Everybody trying to show that that. that they can do it. And, and God says, you're my son. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to sit there and impress me. I'm already impressed because of the relationship we have. The intimacy we share relieves you of having to compete anymore. Uh, in other words, when you're a son, there's no more performance. Um, people who have had the issue of losing a parent or both parents or being orphans, or, or growing up without a healthy relationship with their parents, their father, or their mother, there's, there's deep darkness that, that is there constantly. I, I want to say this, even if you have a dad and have not been affirmed, there, there's darkness there that's just continually battling with regards to your self-worth and having to compete, and what if I don't get to the level that is expected and, and so fear comes in your heart. But he says, listen, once you receive the spirit of God, it's no longer uh, bondage. You're not under fear, but rather you've received the spirit through your adoption to sonship that allows you to express that word Abba is the Hebrew expression, daddy, papi, my papa. There's, there's nothing more intimate than that, that expression. And when you have it, um, it allows a thousand things to come off your shoulders. Um, I, don't, I don't want to be in this world in a relationship with performance and competition. And if I do bad, I'm threatened to leave. And I got to fake it until you make it. You got to lie. You got to cheat. You got to steal. You, you got to uh, do what what Jacob did is you have to disguise yourself to get the blessing. 
And a lot of people are doing a lot of faking it out there and they're having a, a disguise because they won't be accepted if they don't perform, if they don't compete. They, they can't have healthy relationships. Galatians chapter 4, and you'll see this in verse 6, Galatians 4, 6, Paul writes again. Now, this is a, di a totally different book. We already said the Ephesians. We went to Romans. Now we're in the Galatians. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts. Because we have positioned ourselves in this adoption, we've come into it. He has given us a spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Verse 7, therefore, you're no longer in bondage. You don't have to act like slaves anymore. Uh, guys, do you understand the difference between hearing this for the first time and then thinking about it and then letting it be a reality? Because there's different people here tonight and you might hear it for the first time and says, man, a slave, a son, adoption, what is all this about? Then other people will, will think about it. But there's people, and I'm one of them, I enjoy that I don't have to worry about anything because my father has my back. And, and, and everything that happens, it doesn't matter, good, bad, or ugly, there's peace in my heart because dad's in control. Amen. And there's no one going to stop him from doing what he wants. And, and I don't have to run. I don't have to fret. I don't have to fear. And some people say, well, uh, just because you're the pastor. No, 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 listen to me. All the way at the beginning, my Christianity, the biggest relief in my heart was I had a dad in heaven. Amen. And I'm his son. And no devil in hell could interfere because it's a done deal. It's a done deal. And to be able to move into that reality gives you, so you're not a slave anymore. You don't have to compete. One um, A practical example of this, we all graduated from law school and everybody was going to find jobs. And so you start interviewing a year before you graduate law school. That means in your second year of law school, because it's three years, at the end of your four-year degree, you do three years. But the, the second year, everybody was submitting interviews and resumes. And they're, I got this interview, and I got this, and I'm, I'm going to go get a job. And I was like. And they're like, what are you doing? Are you interviewing? So my dad got my back. But you got to get a resume. I don't have to get a resume. Well, you got to go and interview. Do not. You don't know who my dad is. And, and on a Saturday, I was out in the bay. I was enjoying some time on a boat. And this guy was drowning on his jet ski. So he was waving his hands and going crazy. I jumped in. I said, excuse me, sir, we'll help you up. We put him on the boat. We tied his jet ski. We pulled his jet ski into his house. He goes, you know who I am? I go, no, I don't know who you are. I'm Thomas Hunter. Well, who's Thomas Hunter? I'm the senior partner of the largest law firm in Miami. Call me on Monday. You got a job. No interview, no resume, no nothing. My daddy's got my back. He loves me. The person that was just hired right before me was uh, David, uh, a friend of mine, David Denae. He, he had scored the, the, the best score in the Florida bar exam. So that's why they hired him. So their hiring capacity was huge. And so when I came in on Monday with my job, I was like, come on now. They're like, but, but what did you do? And how did you get this job? And everybody's competing. And, and I said, I saved the owner's life. Oh. 
God messed up that guy's jet ski. And God put us right there at that time. Because our Father in heaven, he sees our needs. He knows us. He loves us. He'll give, he's given one of the most powerful verses. You should, you should underline this verse. is Romans 8.32. The Bible says, if he's given Jesus, if he did that, he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's already proved that, he, that this is a reality. And so we're not like the guys in Lamentations always begging and, and hanging out and trying to compete. And we have a dad in heaven who's already given us the best he had and he's going to continue to give us the best he has forever. And if we're not getting the best he has, it's because we have somehow or another walked away from that relationship. He says, because we are sons, we are no longer slaves Let's, let's touch that verse again, Galatians 4, 7. Therefore, we're no longer slaves. We're not in bondage where there's no fear, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. There's an inheritance. Because you're a son, there is an inheritance. Romans 8, 15 said that we're not receiving a spirit of bondage unto fear again, but a spirit that allows us to cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8, 15. We talked about that. And, and so he says, you've received, does not make you slaves. Don't, don't, don't say, I'm going to go serve God uh, because if I don't, I don't get. No, you're his son and you serve him not because there's an imposition, but because there's a recognition. You're, you're, you're accepting that there's responsibilities in the house. Verse 16, he says, this spirit gives you the ability to say, Abba, Father, it's the Spirit himself that testifies with our spirit that we are his children. There's something inside of us, and, 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 and that speaks to us. That's what the word testify means. It speaks to us, we are his children. Verse 17, and because we are his children, if we are his children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. If we share in the responsibility of being his sons, we also share in the privileges of the glory he bestows upon us. Who is it that I, that, that I adorn um, in this world as a father? My sons. There's just, a, just there's an automatic flow. A lot of people might even be jealous. Hey, why, why is he always favoring Nick, Joshua, and Brandon? They're my sons. And that's what a father does. And, and that does not mean I'm being greedy or selfish. I'm expressing the heart of a father. And you'll be able to understand the father's heart when he says, you're my son. You're my daughter. You, I'm going to adorn you. And so we were teaching uh, some years ago, it was many years ago actually, uh, we, were, we were coaching at Tamiami, and they were on my team, and, and I, I made sure I was the coach. And so we played all the season long. We lost every game. We did. God was building character. Um, and they were tired of character, man. They was like, we want to win. Forget about character. And, uh, and, and after the house burned down, I said, well, do you see how character is good now? You guys could put up with losing a house and not just a game. And they said, well, we want to win. Forget about character. <laughs> But the scenario is that at the end of the season, they, they had the all-star game. 
and you get to pick three guys from your team. Well, who's my all-stars? <laughs> my sons, absolutely. And so the other parents would come up and they say, excuse me, coach, yes, how can I help you? Well, uh, the all-star game here, I, we noticed that um, your sons didn't, didn't what? Well, yeah, I said, well, who did you want me to pick to be an all-star? And what did they say? My son, right? They're defending their son. I said, well, you coach next year and you get to pick your all-star. <laughs> but this year, there's three all-stars and they're my sons. And that's what a father does. And, and, and it's just a natural expression. And so if we share as sons, we also share the glory of being sons. And, and, and that's what God is doing. Now, uh, Ephesians chapter 3 Paul says, because this is the case, Ephesians 3.14, because God has so many things for us, because he wants us to be sons, I'm going to kneel. I'm going to put my knee down. I'm going to bow down. I'm not going to fight this thing. I'm, I'm going to humble myself as a son. He says, for this, because the reason he's saying for this reason, we just read it, all the stuff that God has is an inheritance that he adopted us, predestined us before time. So for this reason, I'll bow my, I'll bow, I'll kneel before the Father. And when you get in that right relationship of being a son of God, verse 15, he says, because from whom the Father, every member of the family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You, you, if, if you were called Rockefeller tonight, you, you have a huge inheritance. If you, were, if you were one of these multi-million, Howard Hughes descendants, you'd have huge inheritance. And Paul is saying, I'm going to bow down and be a son in this family so that I could get the provisions of all that's coming from heaven to those people that are upon the earth. Verse 16, he says like this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you in the power through his spirit in the inner being. That, that, that would be deep-seated in your heart so that you might see the birthing of all. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 19. The, the previous chapter, he's telling them the, this, this word. He says, consequently, you're no longer a stranger. I, 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 listen, the saddest thing there is upon planet Earth are the people that come to church as Christian churchgoers and not as sons and daughters of their Father in heaven. So they don't even show up. They come sometimes. They don't come sometimes. They, they, they participate. They don't participate. They steal from the church. They're, they're being thieves. They're not being faithful stewards. They're, they're, not, they're not learning character. He says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're, you're, you don't belong to another family anymore. You don't belong to another way of doing things, but fellow citizens with God's people and a member of his family. That's what that word household means. You, you're, you, now you are, you're not disconnected. And so when we're talking about the lost, they are disconnected. We are connected. Now, if our phony sonship, and, and one, one of the things that happened, I don't know if you guys saw the, the movie Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. They grabbed him and they brought him in. They said, everything is yours. And he goes, really? And he started stealing. And <laughs> everything's mine, right? And an orphan has an orphan spirit. And, and he doesn't know he's a son. He says, hey, you don't have to. And they take the stuff off of his pockets. You don't have to steal. It's all yours. And there's people in the house of God. They still have an orphan complex. And they come in here to steal. They don't, they don't understand that, that God, he, 
He's so good. He's so vast in his provision. And so there it is. I'm not a stranger. I'm not disconnected. I'm not foreign. I'm a part of this family. I, and there's never going to be a time where I'm not a part of this family. So he'll tell um, Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.14, when I'm writing to you these things, I hope to come and visit with you. But until I come, although I hope to come to you, and I'm writing you these, I'm, I'm giving you these last minute instructions so that, why would Paul be writing another letter to another son of God, to a, a disciple, verse 15, he says, so that when, if I'm delayed, you will know how you ought to conduct yourself in God's family, which is the church of the living God. It's a strong place, a pillar holds and supports, and it, it is a foundation. It's a, the bottom and the top of, of the truth of God. Now, Start, start, uh, what's it called when you uh, tune? Tune up your, your understanding of Paul saying, listen, I'm going to take a little while, but until I show up, I want to write you these things so you act like a son in the family of God, which is the church. How is it? What, what is it you're doing? Uh, uh, a, a lot of people don't like family. And they, they, in a family, there's dads. In a family, there's responsibilities. There's privileges. There's honors. There's all manner of stuff. I had one person that says, I don't like church because church is a place that everybody talks about everything. I said, yeah, that's what families do. And they talk about it because they care. And they talk about it because they want to fix what's wrong. And they talk about it because they love you. Because outside of here, nobody cares Nobody's going to talk about it, and you might as well just perish. But in a family, in our family, we talk about everything. Say, hey, there was a bowel movement. <laughs> Why do you want to know? Because it's the family. It's the family. We're going to talk about everything. And so it, there's love there, sufficient to talk about everything, and to correct, and to speak on all terms. You know, if, if you want to be an orphan, nobody will talk about you. You won't even have a name. As Charles Manson, he was born and there was no father to receive him and his mom didn't know who was the dad and they called him No Name Maddox. You're not part of family. That's why he started that crazy family, uh, Charles Manson. So as we see these things, Paul is writing, this is how you ought to conduct yourself in a family. This is what it is to be a daughter in a house. This is what, there's gonna be accountability. There's gonna be responsibility. You're going to get disciplined. You're going to, they're going to call your attention. A lot of people come in this place and say, aren't you going to get me in trouble? I said, no, you're not part of the family yet. Only sons and daughters get in trouble. It's a gift. Discipline is a gift for someone who the father loves. Because whom the father loves, he disciplines. And, and an orphan understands that. In Hebrews chapter 12, we see this instruction in verse 5. We see, he says, don't despise when you're talked to as a son. Don't despise the discipline. Let's go to that Hebrews chapter 12. He says, and have you completely forgotten when the word of encouragement came that addresses you as a father, as he does a son, that says, my son, do not 
Consider the Lord's discipline something light and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Verse 6. When you're being dealt with as a son who's been adopted into a family because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Because correction brings improvement and there's wisdom in correction. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as a child as his children, for what children are disciplined by their father, are not disciplined by their father. Verse eight, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not a legitimate son. You're not a true son or daughter of the Lord. A lot of people say, well, I didn't get in trouble. You're never gonna get in trouble in this house until you become a son or a daughter. And then the expectations of family. Uh, Verse nine, Moreover, we have all human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now, in verse 15, it has an admonition and an exhortation which it says, make sure that you do not fall short of this gift that God has given you so that you do not grow roots of bitterness and through this, many are troubled and defiled. When somebody loses their father-son relationship with God, There's a lot of ugly stuff that comes up in your heart and in your spirit. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. I'm not part of the... Listen, if you don't act like a son, why are you expecting people to treat you like one? My sons have respected me as their father for as long as they've lived and more so now that they're men and they could do whatever they want and they decide to call dad and get the blessing. Jose Medieros in Mexico is 10 years my senior and he is a spiritual son and treats me as a spiritual father with the honor and respect that it deserves. And it has a lot of merit, but the one with the spirit of God is able to do that. The one who has been defiled and corrupted and his, his DNA has gotten really messed up has no ability to connect at that manner. And, and so we're getting along and we'll finish with Philemon chapter one, verse 16. When Paul talks to Philemon, it's because one of his slaves runs away Imagine being a slave. He runs away and he meets Paul in a jail and and Paul talks to him about being a son of God. So the guy comes to the Lord and becomes a child of God and he writes this letter. He's no longer a slave, but he's better than a slave. He's your brother. He's sending them back to the guy he ran away with, uh, ran away from. And he's saying, this guy, he's no longer a slave. He's your brother in Christ because both of you share a father in heaven. And so that connection is made. So he says, so treat him, treat him as he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a normal human being and as a brother in the Lord. So as you treat one another amongst each other, we have dad in heaven and we need to honor the fact that we're sons and brothers in the Lord and and sisters in the Lord. And that's the treatment that God would have us walk in. And this happened in this man's life in an instant. He ran away for a season only to be connected back with his um, his uh, slave owner, his, his slave master, um, but now he's a brother in the Lord. Now, Let's stand tonight and, and, and really ask the Lord that through his spirit that he says is gonna 
give you a sentiment to call him daddy. Romans 8.15. You have not received a spirit that wants to put you as a slave again and needing to compete and perform and to outdo, but there's an inheritance in heaven. You could say, hey, dad, could I have some gas money this weekend? Could you fix my marriage? Could you fix my family? Could the spirit of God come in here and cause the goodness of God to be over my life? Father, thank you tonight for your word. We're actually pursuing the priority of what others are needing, but you're supplying our need at the same time. And you're so faithful to do that. Lord, there's one condition that allows men never to come up into the relationship of being adopted, and it's rebellion. It's defying authority. It's disrespect. It's dishonor. It's disconnect. We pray that you give us the heart of Christ. When he said, learn of me, for I am meek and humble. I'm lowly in my pursuit of my passion here upon the earth because my Father in heaven knows what I need even before I ask. And his provisions are vast. And in this process of offering us adoptions through the Spirit of God so that the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are the children of God, that we don't have to fret, we don't have to fear, we don't have to pursue or be persecuted with respect to the challenges of this life. We just have to come into sonship. We have to come to a place where others are able to see that we have been groomed. So the students and the friends of my sons see that they have a father who's good, who is, who is generous over their lives. You are vastly generous and good over our lives. You are perfect in all your ways, quiet, that, that inner yearning that causes us to be on a constant pursuit as an orphan and a prodigal trying to find our own, trying to receive a place to be accepted. We've been accepted in your embrace, O oh God, through your spirit, through the word of God, through obedience, through living this life, that you might adorn us and that we might be the stewards. That means that we, we, we're the ones that manage what you want to give to the whole world. As a faithful son is able to steward the resources of his home, you also are training us up to be faithful sons in your house, faithful daughters. So I pray that your spirit would be strong upon each person here and that all darkness would diminish and every sentiment of fear, of lacking, would be settled as we contemplate Christ on the cross and together with him, you will give us all things freely at no cost, O oh God. So we pray that you would heal the hearts and that we would become faithful stewards and sons and daughters of the vast expanse of resources and the riches of your glorious grace. We pray in Jesus' name and the house of God says amen and amen. God bless you. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.